Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! It was time now. There was was all the time I needed. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we are back with another set of dueling lists and a special guest. And just, boy, do I wish this episode number had a seven in it, because that would be the joke, wouldn't it? But, uh, I guess we just have to work with what we've got. Uh, Graham, would you would you please fill us in on the details of this mission? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so this week, uh, it's a it's a momentous week. We we have recently lost one of, if not the greatest, James Bonds. A matter will come to in a moment. Also up here in Canada, the uh, Crave streaming service is getting the entire Bond collection. It felt like the best time to generate our top five James Bonds lists. The top five men who have played James Bond in the last 50, 70 years now. And uh, I thought of no better person to bring on board to help do this list than Mr. Kinman Smith, graphic designer extraordinaire and uh, college instructor. Well, let me preface this evening by saying that, you know, uh, I'm not sure exactly why Graham is kowtowing to me. I mean, he's the most (laughs) extraordinary scheduler that I've ever met. Thank you. Um, but we, you know, we we do we do you know ordinarily argue about all things uh, cultural. So, gentlemen, it's an absolute pleasure to be here with you tonight, and I'm so grateful to be a part of this podcast. Um, and so, thank you. Let's uh, let's get started. Would you like to give us a list of who who our options are before we get started? Well, you know, for the uninitiated, well, for the initiated, you know, we have our six. We have our six Bond actors that everybody knows. Um, you know, uh, the dear departed Sir Sean, um, George Lazenby, uh, the dear departed Sir Roger, um, uh, that Dalton guy, um, and uh, that the the clothes rack that uh, that uh, that. Uh, uh, you know, doubles as an actor, uh, Pierce Brosnan, and um, and then finally Daniel Craig. And I feel like you were putting a little too much uh, of your list in that list. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just setting up the audience, pal. Setting up the audience. Okay, yeah, okay. We got, we got some jerk, some dummy, some nobody, and Daniel Craig. <laughs> <laughs> totally unbiased. You, 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 you know, you, you got to keep them interested. Um, but, you know, but but you know, we we need to. I mean, I think uh, so. Okay, for for the uninitiated, then. You know, there are a lot of other bonds that we need to consider. Um, so I don't know how many of your listeners would obviously know that, that you know, the the first, uh, I don't know, how, how do we call this? We can't say, I mean, the first cinematic bond was 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 Sean Connery, obviously, but the first celluloid? For screen bond? Screen bond, good, good call. You know, for a screen bond, obviously, Barry Nelson, 1954. Um, you know, and then jump forward 13 years, we've got David Niven and then for God's sakes, Woody Allen. And, you know, uh, the, the list goes on from there. So I don't know how we want to, uh, parse this list. Um, well, look, I, I think it's a little disingenuous to even suggest the possibility that Barry Nelson would make this list. I could see a world where maybe David Niven gets on there, but that, that even that seems like a stretch. And and Woody Allen, 
is definitely not making the cut. And nobody's bringing up Corey Burton, the voice of James Bond Jr. <laughs> James Bond Jr., just saying. It's okay, a James I'm, Bond I'm top five. When you put Jr. at the end of that, it disqualifies whoever that is completely. <laughs> um, you know, because, you know, eventually, maybe when he hits puberty, we can talk to him. But but until that time, I don't know. I, I think he's kind of off the list. But the, the really confusing thing about that cartoon, which, you know, I didn't think about at the time, was that James Bond Jr., was the nephew of James Bond. So the junior doesn't usually work that way. Well, yeah, but if in your family, like, you know, your your uncle is James Bond and your dad is, you know, Hank from the burger <laughs> store, it's just like, you know what name you're going to pass on, right? <laughs> in any case. Yeah, I mean, I mean do, you, do, you get the, do you get all the babes or all the burgers? <laughs> you're going to know what's wrong with that. So can't you have both? No, I think uh, what they'll do. I, don't know. I mean, I don't know. I think, Graham, can you? <laughs> <laughs> so far, so good. Uh, okay, so why don't we start with our lists? We're going to start at our fives and work our way up to our ones. As our special guest for this evening, I think it's only right for you to go first. Who is mm. your number five? I got to say, probably my number five is going to be. Is going to be Dalton. Okay. Well, he is higher up on my list, if you believe it. Uh, so I, I, I would believe it because you have no taste. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're going to put a pin on uh, Mr. Dalton for now. And I'm going to say mine, which is uh, a little controversial, I think. Uh, my number five is Roger Moore. Really? That is controversial. So I take it we won't be talking about him anytime soon. I think that's a little presumptuous. <laughs> <laughs> Who? All right, then who's your number four? Let's let's end the suspense. Uh, no, you know what? I went first the last time. I think uh, Grant. Okay. It's time for you for your number four. <laughs> well, my number four is Timothy Dalton. Then, so we didn't have to wait too long for for Dalton to get discussed. Okay, so is it is it? Uh, why don't you weigh in? You 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 threw him uh, onto the mat at the work. He's he only had two movies, so he didn't get as much of a chance as some of the rest of these guys to really make a, a his his name, really make the character his own. Everyone else brings their own energy to the characters. I think even even Lazenby is able to to make a mark in it. And I find when I think about the Dalton movies. I don't really think about Dalton that much. It's, it's uh, There's a lot of interesting stuff around them. It's like, it was an interesting attempt to reboot the series and make it darker, but they they brought back the same writers and the same directors, so it, it, I think they kind of failed on their attempts to make it a bit more uh, modern and, and interesting, and they got it right with the Brosnan ones. But Dalton, I wish he had had a better shake, because I love Timothy Dalton and a bunch of other stuff. Uh the Penny Dreadful TV series, the movie Hot Fuzz, all uh, that a Flash Gordon movie. Oh no 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 no, <laughs> no 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 no! You're not allowed to bring that up. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Sorry, Jesse, stop recording. Okay, mate. <laughs> really, Flash, goddamn Gordon, really? I. It's not my favorite movie, but he's charming in it. Wow, then you're a man of taste. Um, <laughs> sorry, I apologize. You have the stage. Please go on with your atrocious opinion. 
<laughs> he's got a, a dark energy to him, which I think is appropriate, a sort of like killer edge that I, I like in a Bond. And uh, he doesn't, he, he brings, he cares about the other characters around him a bit more than, than some of the previous Bonds. Like he, he really is upset when his friends are hurt or, or killed. That being said, his first appearance is that attack on, on the, uh, what is it? The Island of Gibraltar. And it's supposed to be, supposed to be this, um, it's, it's the big reveal. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big reveal that it's uh, Timothy Daldy takes a mask off and it's him, but it's like a training exercise. And then some guy is pegging all the people. So all of his buddies who are on this training exercise are getting picked off one by one and bond chases him down and loses him and ends up on this boat. And and for a movie that's supposed to be like, here's a reboot, here's like a grittier Bond, he lands in this boat, there's a beautiful woman there, she's on the phone, he hangs up the phone and then calls uh, for backup or whatever, and then she makes eyes at him and he's like, oh, he's like, I'll be there in one hour, and she makes eyes and he's like, make it two. After all his people were just murdered, he's, he's gonna take some extra time to, um, you know... Well. And sorry, you were describing yeah. this as sort of the like the less womanizing bond. <laughs> Oddly, yes, he really was. No, 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 no. It's the it's the really sensitive late '80s bond that we've all been <laughs> hoping for. Um, and yeah, I like no, I, I I agree with you. I mean, he he has the look, he has the feel, and you know, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he he spoke in the in the media about. Um, you know, going back to Fleming and bringing back the darkness and, and so on and so forth, you know, like he's Christopher Nolan planning a Dark Knight trilogy. And um, uh, but the the fact is, is that, you know, it's it's a very it's 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 a really it's it's I mean, it's it's a good Bond film. Don't get me wrong. Um, and he essays the role really, really well. But he's a classically trained actor. So. I would expect him to say the role really, really well. Uh, you know, he's got the he's got the looks. He's he's got the he's got the charisma. He's got the he's got the brutality. Um, but the but the funny thing about that film, for me at least, is that it's it's almost like it's it's a weird hybrid between a, a Moore era film and a Connery era film. You know, it's like you've almost got this sort of Connery era actor playing it like Moore. Um, right. You know, you've got, you've got the smirk. You've got the raised eyebrow. You've got that horrible, horrible, stupid, um, you know, um, ending to the great action stunt scene with the two of them riding a goddamn cello case <laughs> down a ski slope. I mean, give me a, give me a break. That is hey. right out of, the Connor, uh, out of the Moore era, rather. I, I mean, um, you got to give him points for innovation. You've never seen that before on in a Bond movie. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay, or, <laughs> yeah. Or, or or points for you know should have been left on the editing floor. Um, <laughs> but it's like, like he's he's the right actor, but for whatever reason, it's it's the wrong material. It's the wrong time, you know. And even even in that film, the moment when. Um. Uh, sorry, help me out here, Graham. The, yeah. the moment in the at the fair, uh, where his where his com- compatriot gets murdered at the fair, and it's and it's the same circus fair from the Third Man. Oh, okay, in Austria. In, in Austria. Uh, 
right? Yeah. And and and, and so 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 here is actually a classic nod to cinema. Right. Um, and then his reaction is to crush a balloon <laughs> after his friend has been crushed by a Star Trek door. His <laughs> reaction is to squeeze a balloon to death. It's right, right. Take some of the. So, uh... It's so off the mark um, in terms of what that dramatic moment could have been. Um, and so, anyway, sorry, I didn't. I've taken over. Please dive. That's in. okay. And then in in the second movie, Unlicensed to Kill, which uh, was that was uh, 1989, and um, was originally titled License Revoked. But I believe the yeah. the legend. I don't know how much truth there is to it, but the legend is they changed it to from License Revoked because they didn't think American audiences would know what revoked means. <laughs> yes, that is that is the that is the story, and I'm sure it's actually the truth. It's, I mean, it's hilarious in retrospect because what, uh, a little over 10 years later, maybe 15 years later, they come up with Quantum of Solace as a title and didn't think to change that at all. <laughs> so, so in this one, it almost hits a bit better because it's, it's about cocaine and, and there's, there's more of a, uh, modern edge to it. Like there, there seems to be more of a sense of, of realism to it. Uh, and then you've got, Robert Davi being a ridiculous over the top drug lord and then uh what's his name Wayne Newton is a TV evangelist who's caught up in all this so it it had this this to me it has this more interesting mix of hard edged late 80s real real world problems and absurdity that makes it a bit of a more interesting movie than I think the first one was but it's still isn't a great showcase for for Dalton. No, and I think I think you know we were we were coming to the end of the of the John Glenn era <clears throat> at that point. Um, and probably should have ended before this. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, John Glenn sh- probably should have wrapped it up at at Fear Eyes Only because that was a, a a terrific Bond film, and the you know the next several were fairly meh. But yeah. um, but you know I mean. Again, in License to Kill, you know, you've got Benicio del Toro, for God's sakes. So, you know, now, granted, he's probably in his, in his early 20s during the filming of this. Um, you know, but but here's a... So going, you know, jumping forward 30 years, here's a really quiet, internal actor, um, you know, who's... who's uh, you know, you're, you're fascinated uh, by Benicio because, because of his internalism in his later work. And here he's just this, granted he's in his early twenties, but he's just this sort of smirking over the top, you know, sort of pseudo villain. Um, oh, I can't wait to cut you kind of guy. Um, he gives one of the best line readings in the franchise though. He does, but at the end of the day, you know, then they throw him into a cocaine hopper. <laughs> uh, we've all been there though, haven't we? <laughs> well, <laughs> I like your life experience, so I'm I'm going to defer to you on that one. Um, but it's just a, yeah, it's it, but it, but it's in like, and and yet some of the stunt work in License to Kill is extraordinary, um, and the final set piece of of you know getting uh, getting those truck rigs to to stand up on on you know on. Um, <laughs> He pops too many wheels they had to stand up on. He basically pops a wheelie with the truck so that it doesn't 
he so yeah. it, uh, avoids so it, a rocket. It's an extraordinary set piece. And <laughs> it, it is, is ludicrous. No, and no, it no. is Dalton who it's, does a lot of his own stunts, right? He was the one who was. That's yeah. true. But it, yeah. but it also like like those those rigs going up on their sides was a practical effect, right? Um, and 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 that's an extraordinary moment as well because you know God knows we could we could debate forever and I'm sure we will hopefully in the future about you know the, some of the some of the terrible um, you know eon decisions around digital effects um, sure. that was a practical effect and it and it looks amazing um, in the film. You know, and it leads to, like, quite frankly, one of the darkest moments in the entire canon when James Bond sets somebody on fire. <laughs> right? So, so yeah. it's a really great ramp up. But the problem is, is that that film, I think, to me, anyway, is so diluted by, frankly, the presence of an atrocious Las Vegas celebrity, um, <laughs> you know, who really... You know whose career should have sort of peaked with Matthew Broderick dancing on a float in Chicago, <laughs> one of his songs. Like that was the moment for Wayne. But but I do think he's he's well cast in this because he has to be a slimy Vegas type. It it but kind of works. But the whole thing is so diluted. Like he's not slimy enough. You know? Okay. And it's because Wayne is probably playing to his audience and thinking, oh gee, I don't want to piss off the guy at the Golden Sands. Right. Uh, and lose my contract there like it's just and it, but it's also like it's one of those <clears throat> it's it's not a self-referential moment for bond um but it's a cultural referential moment for bond and 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 i really think that anyway you know one person's opinion but it it dilutes that moment to the point where you know and it, i mean he says it himself right like when 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 the when um the female character runs off with the moment with the money and he goes God bless you, my child. Right. Like, who wrote that? Yeah. yeah. Wrote well, it? one of the the writers is Michael G. Wilson, the the son or stepson of the. I rest my. <laughs> the stepson uh, of the producer of the whole franchise. Okay, uh, Jess, you got any any thoughts? <laughs> uh, you know what? I mean. I, I am much less of a fanatic of this stuff than you guys are, which is why I'm sort of taking the moderator's chair here. Uh, the biggest thing for me about Dalton was that he wasn't around for very long. Um, I felt like I didn't really get to know him. I do think the points you've made are very stable that he's, you know, they, he, they tried to do, go back to a Sean Connery thing with a couple of more twists. And I think that like there's promise to that recipe um, and if there, I think there was like a licensing agreement or something that happened after his two movies that held it up. I imagine in the prime timeline, like you know, the actual universe, there's probably a series of Dalton movies uh, where they sorted that out. I can imagine it could have been really good. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see. So Martin Campbell directed the first Brosnan movie and the first Daniel Craig movie. It would be interesting to see what would have happened if he'd gotten a shot at uh, at Dalton. Yeah, or even because yeah. originally they were even planning like some of Goldeneye was written for Dalton, right? Mm -hmm. I wonder how that would have looked. Yeah, it, it would look really interesting, I think. And and at the end of the day, you're right. You know, I mean, the the the, the I think the frustration for 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 many Bond fans is that you know Dalton Dalton was probably well, okay. Let's back up for a second, just for the uninitiated. You know, Dalton was considered back in the '60s, um, but uh, but he felt. And I mean, you know, it, he's he's got it. He's he's put it out there that he felt he was too young. 
you know, we're talking about back in the Lion and Winter days, um, you know, in 69, and when he was only, I think, 22 or 23. Um, yeah, that seems way too young. Yeah, but by the same token, you know, that mantle was picked up by a guy who was 29. Um, and, you know, and if you watch, if you watch um, Dalton in the Lion and Winter, He's extraordinarily prepossessed. You know, he's he's very um, he's very contained. Uh, and at that time, I think he was 22 at that point. But but it, like he's very, you know, he's very um, uh, very confident. Um, is he too young to play a Bond? Yeah, probably. And I guess you know, sort of the the great the great you know one of the great missed opportunities in the in the franchise is that you know. Maybe they should have come back to Dalton in the late 70s when he was 32. You know, yeah. because by the late 70s, um, you know, Moore was, uh, how was, so Moore was 57, I think, when he did uh, View to a Kill. That sounds right. He he was he was up there. Okay, so, so in the late 70s, you know, Moore would have been um, in his late 40s. And so the producers could have injected, um, you know, a, a Bond actor who was kind of sort of in his prime, if you will, in his early 30s, mid 30s, um, you know, but obviously they signed a contract with with Sir Roger and and that needed to be upheld. And, you know, it's just one of those sort of bad timing moments, right, where here you've got this guy who could have been an amazing Bond, but by the time he got to be Bond, um, he was maybe a trifle long in the tooth and then MGM went into their sort of their financial paroxysms and then there's this gigantic gap between the first Dalton and the second Dalton and then more paroxysms that that meant that Dalton could never be bond again um, and had to step away from the role and and you know and give us the the coat rack that was Pierce Brosnan <laughs> and he he's he could have been a footnote like Lazenby but he's he's definitely got more traction than that so he's got that going for him although i suppose lazenby could still show up on our lists speaking well, of which on our lists just <laughs> okay yeah we should probably move along <laughs> <laughs> so i believe that was my number four what's your number four uh so number four um this is a tough one for me but i'm gonna go with george so, so I, I will confess, Lazenby did not make my list. So, well, uh, I mean, you know, I'm really not surprised. But you're a man with very little taste. So <laughs> go on. So, uh, why right. is Lazenby hit number four for you, and why higher than Dalton? Okay, so, so now this is this is going to be a controversial pick, and I recognize that. But you know what? I recognize that I'm probably this is my first and last time on your goddamn podcast. <laughs> so I'm just going to put it out there. But the fact is, is that Okay, so I am, I am much older than Graham, and I'm assuming Jesse. I'm much older than you, and um, so I was born in the year that the cinematic Bond was born. Um, and so when I was a kid, um, I didn't have a chance to see Bond on the big screen until the 1970s, and and so so Roger holds a special place in my heart um, because the first Bond that I saw on the big screen was uh, Live and Let Die in 73. Um, and the first f- the first film, quite frankly, that I saw 
without being chaperoned by my annoying parents was was Golden Gun. Um, so so Roger will always have a special place in my heart. But you know, when I was a kid in the in the growing up in the '60s, um, you know the the ABC movie of the week, the first Bond film I saw was Thunderball. So of course Sean was my first introduction to the character, um, and I'll and I'll come back to Thunderball in a minute because there's there's a little sort of uh, you know weep for me moment coming up. But what I didn't realize at the time um, was that the that Switzerland inevitably became a huge part of the Bond canon, and kind of unknowingly became a huge part of my life as well, um, and. Okay, so let's let's back up for a second. So you've got this, you've got this, you've got this Australian, for the word punk. Um, you know, I was gonna go with weirdo, but yeah. <laughs> okay, but why don't we go with punk because it's only one syllable. Um, but you've got this guy who's 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 been in nothing except a couple of of chocolate commercials, um, and he's he's arrogant. And he's pushy, and he's ambitious, and dare I say, he is in some way, shape, or form. And maybe this is just sort of the pop pop cultural reading of him at a later time. But he's kind of everything that we kind of ascribe to James Bond. Um, you know, he's he's cocky, he's confident, he's He's uh, from a literary standpoint. He's dark-haired. Um, he's he's a little bit brutal, but he's a little bit sensitive. Um, and and you know, we could have an entire podcast. We could have an entire series of podcasts around Lazenby's representation of of Bond. But you know, I think for a for a twenty nine year old first timer, you know, maybe maybe I'm sort of maybe I'm. Um, Maybe I'm superimposing um, my own uh, sort of bond feelings, my bond, uh, my bond desires, my bond reckonings on on George. Um, but that performance is is actually a lot better than most I think than most people give, give credit for. So very very quickly, because I know we're we're we're, we're using our time. We have a bond. Keep in mind that that, that the literary bond. Um, the literary bond was tough, brutal, yet sensitive. Um, he fell in love on almost every mission and had the girl killed or left him. You know, so there was always that balance between the, the hard-edged man and the soft-edged lover. And, and I think to a certain extent, and and obviously we can we can certainly ascribe this to the script writing. We can certainly ascribe this to to the direction of Peter Hunt. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, George did a bang up job for a journeyman actor to walk into a role that had been completely dominated by a man who, by the end of the '60s, was a was a, 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 a living a, icon. And he actually stepped into this role, and and you know I would put Majesties in my top three Bond films, and if you're going to put Majesties in even your top five Bond films, you've got to ascribe some of that success to George. 
Um, and I think, you know, George did a great job. Um, you know, he, he managed the, he managed the brutal with the sensitive. There's that scene after he and Tracy spend their first night together. Um, and, and she, she pulls the Walther out of the, out of the drawer and, and, you know, he grabs her wrist and twists it to get the gun out of her hand and she's in pain and you can just see that sort of that sort of personification of brutality on his face and yet this is the same guy who who weeps at the end when you know the same woman who becomes his wife is killed and i think i think Lazenby does a an amazing job and god knows you know i mean Lazenby should never have played the bond that was written in diamonds are forever because if we could we'll all get to that. forget about diamonds are forever we'd all be much happier because it's the worst goddamn film in the series um, oh my god and, no way i love that one yes i know but you're young and you have no taste so um but the fact is is that you know like i hope i'll get back you know invited back for the for the top five bond films but but diamonds are forever will never make the goddamn list because it's awful it's awful. So the fact is, is that, you know, I mean, George brings so much to that role. Um, and he's, extra he's an extraordinarily physical actor as well. He nails the physicality um, that we want to see in a James Bond. Um, and he nails it in a way that we did not see from Connery, um, frankly, ever. Connery moved, moved so well, but Lazenby was an athlete. Um, and by the time Roger came along, um, you know, Roger was, you know, in his 40s when he became Bond. So, you know, uh, George. And so let me let me wrap this up by saying this, you know, the so the you know, most of the scenes in Majesties were were shot on the Schilthorn, um, which is a which is a mountain in the Berner Oberland. Um, and I've actually I've actually hiked to the top of the Schilthorn and I've, I've been to that restaurant um, and it was an extraordinary moment and I got to share it with my partner at the time um, and, who was still very special to me and, and, and it was a great moment and what I didn't realize at the time was that the mountain that has captured me um, in my entire adulthood was across the valley and, and I feel to a certain extent like, like my entire life has has drawn me to that place in the world geographically and so in a weird way and in a completely inappropriate way i thank george for that graham the floor is yours oh man give this like touching yeah, touch personal me. story and uh yeah, how do you feel gonna, about it <laughs> there's no way you can follow anything i say anyway but please go ahead uh he's wooden and awful and is no! <laughs> you're wooden you're awful He's dubbed for half the movie. Like, but, but, okay, but again, here's here's a moment where you've got you've got a journeyman actor playing. He's not even a journeyman Bond. actor. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. no, totally journeyman actor, and you've got a journeyman actor playing not only James Bond, but he's playing James Bond playing somebody else. There are so many levels there. So yeah, and they had to get someone else to do it because he That's couldn't cut it. That was the, the producers decided to dub him. The fact is, is that when he's being when he's being James Bond, he's uh -huh. not the same as when he's being Hillary Bray. 
<laughs> and he does a great job, and you need to grow the hell up. <laughs> All right. Well, no, no, I, no, please. Let's hear your opinion. My opinion uh, is is uh, <laughs> is, uh, is like history has validated my opinion since he's never acted since then. No, 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 no. History has validated my opinion, pal. And when people look back now at Majesties, they go, yes, top three Bond films. I, I look back on Majesties, there's a lot of good stuff in there. But when I, I remember when I was very young uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, if it was ever mentioned, which wasn't often, it was considered a lesser Bond. And over time, its opinion has, has gone up. So by the time I actually saw it, I mean, I saw these movies in ridiculous all over the place sort of order and when i did finally see it i was like i really want to like this because of this reevaluation it's had in recent years but it is a hard watch in moments like you know one of his first scenes he's on that fight on the beach and he's like oh this never happened to the other guy right to the the camera with his little winky smirk and, and you're absolutely right. And in one, like, like, like that, like that is one of those moments where, um, you know, because we saw that in the late '60s with the with the series. But that's one of those moments where that's probably the moment where the Bond canon becomes self-referential. Yeah, is that good? No, it, no, it's not. And we can we can frankly, if we believe George, we can blame Lazenby for that moment because he claims that he came up with that moment. Wow, he's like like he's he turned it off the cuff. I would not take credit for that if I were him. <laughs> anyway, so I did the number four first. You are are up to do your number three first. Who's who do you got? Um, I got to go with Roger. Okay, so so we're we're talking Roger now because he was my number five. So, uh. I'll be quick in my my Roger-ness here. By the time I was uh, born on the scene, he was out of the picture. And and so I didn't have that growing up with him in the theater experience. And whenever I've seen him, it feels kind of like... It feels like he's a guy who's walked into Westworld or like the holodeck on the Enterprise. It feels like he's just an upper-class twit who's who's playing spy for the weekend and knows that there's no danger for him that nothing will go wrong the holodeck safeties are firmly engaged and we got seven movies of him just being completely underwhelmed by everything that approaches him that's why he ranked five for me because he's he's actually a good actor but he's just which lazenby is not (laughs) and uh he wow So he pulls ahead on that mark, but other than that, he's uh, he he leaves me pretty cold. And I, there, I like some of his movies, but he doesn't he doesn't make the good ones better, and he doesn't make the bad ones worse. He's just sort of there. Okay, fair enough. Um, and yet he makes your top five. Um, and five out of six. <laughs> Well, yeah, but now I'm wondering, you know, I mean, so are you just giving him are you just giving him props because, you know, he lasted let's 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 back up a second on Roger here for a minute. Okay, so so yeah, so you're right. You're absolutely right. You know, you've got an actor who's who's known for being, you know, a little bit smirky because of the saint. Um, you know, you've got an actor actually who was who was who was um considered as 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 the original Bond, but then for whatever reason was rejected. Um, and, 
And it's one of those things, right? It's, it's like you, you've, you've got a guy who's got to sort of come into the role, you know, after, you know, uh, nine years of domination by by Sean Connery. And it's an it's a it's a tough it's a tough set of shoes to walk into. And again, you know, obviously it's one of those things, right? Like we we you know, how do you balance the how do you balance the actors, um, you know, reading of the role um, with what? you know, Eon Danjack uh, gave him, which was, uh, you know, we're going to go light. We're going to go, uh, you know, we're going to play to your strengths. So it's always going to be quip and then arched eyebrow. Um, and then, you know, um, you know, one handed, uh, get the girl undressed and away we go. It's just, it's, it's that it's, um, you're right. Like none of the meat, none of the, none of the, none of the menace, none of the, none of the, animalism of connery was there for for roger but that's not sort of what roger is and and i think we can see you know we can see that certainly you know it's it's frankly i think it's easy to make the case that the in the 60s in the connery era um bond kind of led the cinematic vanguard um in terms of um in terms of narrative in terms of scale um you know like nobody else had the sets of ken adam you know nobody else had the 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 stakes if you will nobody else had the um you know there's a there's a villain who's going to destroy the world um you know nobody else had all the things that we now ascribe to the to the to the bond canon which was which was which was completely original in the in the 60s and unseen before that time um and uh you know and then here comes roger and you know by, by the time the late 60s come along i think you know we've got it we've got a self-referential um series um you know certainly by the time uh connery did diamonds in 71 it's very self-referential um you know here up pops charles gray again who is a wonderful actor, and I love Charles Gray, and I wish Charles Gray had been brought in earlier. But now we've got Charles Gray back from the grave, if you will, of You Only Live Twice, and now he's Blofeld in, in Diamonds. Um, and it needed to go in a different direction, and unfortunately they, they, they pivoted. And on top of that, they, they, they began, they stopped leading, you know? I mean... Um, quite frankly, the 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 Moore era is is a is a is really a it's a it's a it's a it's a never ending unfortunately series of um, instead of Bond leading, Bond is following, right? So so mm -hmm. Live and Let Die is black exploitation. Um, uh, Golden Gun is kung fu movies. Spy Who Loved Me is Jaws because it's underwater. Moonraker is Star Wars crap um, <laughs> because it's up in space, right? And then finally they go, oh my God, we got to pull this back. And they give us a decent moor in number five with Fear Eyes Only. Right. Um, and then we get the two terrible, God, I mean, quite apart from the, 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 the better representation of women um, and the, 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 that is Octopussy. Octopussy is a horrible movie. Um, yeah, and there's like some. It's all in India, so there's some weird sort of racial stuff that hasn't oh, aged well. It's terrible. 
it's terrible. And then the the, the atrocious overacting in that, um, you know, from Louis Jourdain, uh, yeah. and then and then a view to a kill, you know, starring one of my favorite actors, and there is not one frame of that movie that's worth watching, not one, and it all starts with an atrocious theme song from the typically <laughs> bad Duran Duran. Um, so it's it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to look at the Moore era objectively because you know there was here's this really good looking, engaging uh, guy, and and it's you know in some senses the Moore era is in in a in a weird way, kind of like the Dalton era. You've got this really interesting guy, and you give him nothing to do for seven um, movies. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, so the good news is, is that, you know, it made Roger rich and it, it let him pay for all four of his wives. And he got to move to Brooklyn and be a, a tax exile. And be uh, in Space World. Yeah. And also, you know, and, you know, the good side is it made him famous and it, it put him into UNICEF and, and all those things are good. But as a bond, um, sure, it's it's tough because it's one of those moments, right? Like, like, how do you how do you figure out the. The, the the cultural the temporal aspect of that and and how do you you know tie it to the actor it's it's a tough one okay so I have a feeling our our top two are gonna be the same or at least the same two maybe the order won't be the same but we gotta hit my number three and I'm sure you're gonna have a lot to say about it uh, I'll say up front my, my number four was Dalton and I was really struggling between who's going to be three and four. It's that, that mushy middle that I had the hardest time deciding on. But I went with Brosnan at number three. <clears throat> okay. I, okay. I, I can I can see that. Don't let me speak for no, you, no, but no, I think no, I see no, where you're going. You weigh in, mate. I mean, because, like, Brosnan was kind of like they were trying Dalton again, right? They were try like they like they, it's it's kind of like they had Connery and then they had Moore. I, I know there's folks in the middle, and then Brosnan's like kind of like they tried to do both. They tried to have him look and sound like Dalton, but still have some Moore silliness. Yeah, yeah, and some of the silliness I think works better with him than it does with with Moore. Like Moore's silliness involved James Bond dressing up like a clown and. And going to space, and and there's some of that over the top. And a gorilla, let's be and, <laughs> and a gorilla, uh, and flying a tiny plane in Cuba. Um, but Brosnan was had a better sense, I think, of balancing the comedy and the the drama of it. Yes, yes, that's what I'm trying to get at. But and Goldeneye is a great start. I I think watching it recently it uh doesn't hold up quite as well as i thought it would but i still think it's a great start for him it relaunched the franchise in a lot of ways it has a terrible soundtrack uh which is a shame because the bond soundtracks are, are usually pretty solid there's there's nice scores to them but you don't like I, that hollow drum sound I, I think i think it's actually a, a a particular circle in hell for eric sarah um, <laughs> and that's where he needs to be put and kept for eternity but uh, yeah, I mean, it's also the fact that for Jesse and I, this was the Bond we grew up with and the GoldenEye video game on Nintendo 64. I played that game so much. I think we both played that game so much. I, that I, that I movie. Did that. What'd you say? 
I, I can't imagine that you would have played a video game so so much. <laughs> but that game sold the Nintendo sixty four. The, the... No, this this was a nineties kid thing. If you were a nineties kid and you played video games at home, you were playing GoldenEye sixty four for like mm. five years, and that sh- like that polygonal Pierce Brosnan was James Bond to you far more than any like any actor on a silver screen was. And it's it's weird. When I did rewatch GoldenEye a, a couple of years ago, it, it was the first time in years and years that I'd watched it. And I spent the whole time being like, oh, I remember this part of the game. I remember this part of the game. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe not the best way to, to judge a movie. But I also find that his movies, it's, it's, a, it's the law of dimin- diminishing returns. Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies and The World Is Not Enough are sort of, they are equally not so great. They, neither of them quite lives up to GoldenEye. They both have their pluses, they both have their minuses. And then Die Another Day is awful and almost killed the franchise. And and again, none of this is necessarily Pierce Brosnan's fault, but it doesn't help his case. He, he was a good Bond in them, but the movies haven't aged very well, and I don't even know how well they were received at the time. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think we can probably all agree that Die Another Day, you know, ranks up there with the with the best of perhaps Madonna's acting canon. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like it's it's an it's a terrible movie from almost beginning to end. It's a terrible movie. And I love John Cleese. Um, but, uh, you know, and and. And yet, you know, what's funny is that we talk about the we talk about the arc of of an actor's tenure in the Bond canon, and you know, and and Daniel Craig, much as I love him, goes to great pains to talk about the sort of the arc of the of the, of his James Bond across the 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 you know four films that we've seen and the one that we might see in twenty years, and. You know, but the interesting thing about the about the the the, the Brosnan era is, at least in the Brosnan era, you had films that were they sort of harken back to a different time, uh, like an earlier time in the Bond canon, where you know we were getting a movie every two or three years, and and that afforded us the 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 opportunity to sort of watch Brosnan grow into the role, you know, and true. and 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 that was actually a really enjoyable experience. Um, and I think you know, like I, I watched Goldeneye reasonably recently, and he does a great job. And I remember I almost got fired over Goldeneye. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, because I had I I back in those days I was working in the agency world, and um, the agency the the advertising agency that I worked for had premier tickets to Goldeneye. Oh my god. Uh, and yet we had this. Re- so I saw it like you know, like a week before everybody else in 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 well, whatever Toronto, North America, um, and um, but we had this ridiculous deadline, and but they 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 gave me you know uh, one of the tickets to the GoldenEye premiere, and you know, and and I was still working on this layout, and they said, well, this is due tomorrow, and I said, yeah, but I got tickets to the new James Bond film. I'm gone, and I. <laughs> I walked out of the office <laughs> and and went to the went to the premiere of Goldeneye and and was I you know I was frankly I was really happy to see Pierce do his thing you know I'd watched him in Remington Steel I'd watched him in a couple of other films and um, I feel like I'd risk my job for that opportunity oh totally totally I've I've never missed I've never missed a Bond opening um, 
you know, since the since the mid seventies, and and you know, and, and and he did a great job, and it's a really good film. And if I may go back to the earlier point, the motorcycle jump chasing the airplane, yes, is yeah. filmed on the Eiger. Ah, which was across the valley from the Schilthorn where Majesties was filmed. Um, that is such a great stunt that is nowadays just a little ruined by the digital effect. It is. Totally the, the improperly lit green screen yeah. on that kills what should have been like an amazing scene. Yeah, but a stuntman actually pulled that off. And I've been fortunate enough to, to actually be on the Eiger, and I've, I've been in the places where those scenes were filmed. And, but, you know, so, so like GoldenEye is, is, a, is a great moment in the canon um, because he's, he's really good and it's really well written. And what's also interesting in though as well is that, you know, it's, it's also written by a guy who is kind of outside of the Bond camp. It's, it's written by, uh, by, by Fierstein and, and, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a smart script. It's a it's um uh it's and it's and it's not one of those things that isn't terribly temporal. Um, it's got you know Sean Bean is a great villain. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got really it's, it's it's got it's got two really strong female leads, both villain and non-villain. Um, it's got it's got a slightly embarrassing turn by Alan Cummings, but that's okay. He's He's, we all know we all know he's better than that um uh but it's a it's a really strong it's a it's a it's a really strong um you know sort of uh debutante if you will moment for for pierce i mean just so long as we're on the topic of the the woman of bond i think world is not enough has the best female bond villain it was like a main villain i don't know that there are many who are like the lead villain and and she she may be the first. And are, she are, are you talking about Christmas Jones? Because she was atrocious. Uh, villain. I'm talking oh, about sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I was confusing villain with atrocious. Please go ahead. <laughs> yeah, she's a villain because she almost ruins the movie. Sophie <laughs> <laughs> Marceau is fantastic as the villain in that one. Yeah, she is, and 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 and, and it's great. To, it's you know again, really great film. A little over camped. You know, there's the you know the, the 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 terrible makeup on on the main villain and and another the, great actor, uh, yeah, whose name has immediately escaped me. But but you're right, the Renard isn't uh, no. And then the, then then that atrocious you know, helicopter saw moment at the caviar. Right. Um, you know, but but yeah, I mean, everybody acquits themselves really really well. Um, and then, yeah, again, the nice thing with the Brazen era is that, you know, accepting the last film, which is, you know, um, needs to be chopped up and, and fed to livestock. Um, you know, his first three films are actually, you know, they're, they're, they're quite decent. You know, they're, they're not terrible. Um, but again, it's one of those terrible moments where I think the... You know what? I'm going to put this squarely in the laps of the producers who can have me shot at a later date. Um, but, you know, you had you had some pretty sort of terrible production decisions. Um, and I think which drove some fairly terrible writing decisions. 
Um, and, and that led to some egregious, incredibly egregious, especially when you look at the last Brosnan film, moments of, of, of the Bond oeuvre. Yeah. All right, well, let's, let's move on to our top twos, and I have a pretty strong feeling we're going to have the exact same two. And let's, let's, would you, why don't I start with my number two and we'll see if we got the same one. Okay. I really, I wrestled with this, not as much as with uh, my three and four, but I did wrestle between where I would put these two. And uh, I I finally decided, and maybe it's just because of the recent events, but I put Daniel Craig at number two. Okay. So that's, that, that's, that's a really interesting choice. Uh, do you want to explain why? Well, I can't really explain it without also talking about my number one. Um, but it, Craig is fantastic. I've I've enjoyed all of his movies, even the the sort of lesser outings of uh, Quantum of Solace and um, Spectre. Spectre. He's great in them, and he's he's <laughs> funny. The minute we talk about lesser outings, everybody says Spectre. But please go on. I, I don't even think it's that bad. Like, I, I didn't really like it in theaters, and then I saw it again oh, a couple of years ago, and I was really impressed by it. It really held up better than I thought it would, and, and some of the, the action set pieces in it are fantastic. There There is, again, a lot to dislike about it, too. I, I really don't like the cold open in Mexico. It looks awful, and it's it's I just don't. I just want to. Die. You're in the weeds. I'm you're in the weeds. weeds. Sorry. We'll, we'll do it. We're going to do a Craig top five. Hey, we can you're talk not happy with the longest tracking shot in Bond history, really. <laughs> but there, he's he's really good. He's got this cold edge to him. Uh, in the first movie, you get to see that he has a heart, and and there's a reason why he's gets even colder in the subsequent movies because of stuff that happens in in Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. Um, he's he handles the villains well. He never seems out of his depth, but he also gets hurt. And he he, there are challenges. It's not just a, a roll in the hay for him, but he's always just so competent and capable. And and you believe that he is this secret agent in a way that very few of the others can match up to. And and I my first instinct was to put him at number one because he, in a lot of ways, to me, has become the the bond he is the one that all others are measured against except he can't be because the number my number one really set the template and and he's craig has taken it to another level but he couldn't have gotten there without the the pattern set by number one do you want to talk about craig for a bit uh no yeah i gotta see if this is something you two agree on or not we should talk about number one which is obviously barry nelson uh, <laughs> you have been waiting for that since this whole thing started. Now, if you're going to set me up, I'm going to take that. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I mean, I think uh, it's it's so it's so hard. It's so hard because you know, I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, I you know, we're 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 going to land in the same place. Sorry, everybody listening. Um, you know, we're going to land in the same place for, for two and one. Um, you know, I've, I've loved, I've loved, uh, David Nibben's work. Um, (laughs) you can't do the same joke twice. (laughs) No, no. Same joke, two different ways. Um, no, I've, I've loved, I've loved Craig's work. Uh, I mean, I loved him before we became Bond. 
Um, he's been an extraordinary Bond. Do you uh, do you remember what you thought when he was announced? Um, I was I was actually really excited about it to be honest with you because I'd seen his earlier work, I'd seen Layer Cake. You know, I thought he was terrific. Um, he's he's I always thought he was a really really compelling actor. And and to be honest with you, you know, again going back to some of the things we talked about earlier. One of my concerns when when Craig was cast was okay. We can all agree that 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 terribly done moment of him bouncing across the Thames wearing a life jacket with his blonde locks, you know, flowing in the wind and you know surrounded by Royal Marines. That was really badly done. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but but you know, I mean, I, I had every confidence that he was going to be a really strong Bond. You know, I. It's funny, you know. We talk about the the lip service that that other actors have paid to to Fleming. Um, you know, I mean, Roger had his day where he talked about going back to the Fleming Bond, which obviously the producers and writers didn't let him do. Um, you know, we we saw a brief glimpses of it, glimpses of it rather in Golden Gun, but we we never sort of saw the you know the the the, the the larger, you know, bond that that Roger could have possibly created, uh, but but the nice thing about the Craig era has been that that you know, and and a lot of people will have different opinions about this, but but it's one of those it's one of those eras where the where the actor has driven or seems to have driven um, some of the narrative and some of the some of the decisions that have been made, or maybe this is just Eon Danjack sort of you know um on their knees and supplicating um in order in order in order to sell tickets i mean christ only knows um but um he does seem to have more creative control than than previous bonds yeah he does and then you also look i mean we're also talking about we're talking about a production team which is sort of anally retentive controlling right around around their character so god knows what the truth of that is um, but, you know, and then again, you know, we look at the, we certainly look at the, at the four story arc with the fifth yet to come sometime in 2025. Um, and, you know, and they've, they sort of retconned all of these films together. And is that the right choice to make? I don't know yet. I don't think so. Cause Spectre is a pretty terrible example of retconning. I agree. Um, I agree on that point. Um, There's no need to have them all be one story. Like you can have you can have his arc continue, but there's no reason that all of these stories that he was involved in have to tie together. Yeah. Especially when it's for such a poor like it doesn't build to anything. Oh yeah, the, the payoff is atrocious. Yeah. yeah and the that was- reveal that that he was that um, they tried to make a secret out of uh, what's his name? Oh, it was Khan and John yeah, Harrison yeah. again. It's the, same, yeah. the whole thing all over again with Blofeld. Like they tried to hide his identity. Everyone guessed it. And then the reveal happens and you're like, well, why didn't you just say it up front? Like everyone. And not only is it Blofeld, but it's also his adopted evil twin brother. Right. Well, exactly. But, but that, I mean, you know, that, that man, screw that movie. <laughs> Or Jesse, a nerve. I like you, pal. I like your I like your attitude, and you're absolutely right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
but but yeah, you know. But I mean, again, that's that's them sort of that that's that that's that sort of sort of weak shoehorning Fleming, and the and you know the the old Bond literary narrative into the cinematic narrative, um, and it's and it's just you know like it it's it fits it fits in a, a size eleven foot like with an eight you know with an eight, size eight shoe. It's just it just it just doesn't work. It's the whole thing is uncomfortable. And um, but by the same token, the fact is is that I guess you know I think a lot of us put a lot of store in 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 Craig because he's the best quote actor to play mm-hmm. Bond. You know, I mean, he's the most he's the most um, he's the most educated. He's the most um, uh, experienced. He's the most uh i i won't say talented but but you know while, well yeah, sure to a certain extent but the, but the fact is is that like while he doesn't while he doesn't represent the 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 physical literary bond um you know for the purists out there he's he's got the rest of it going on right he's got the physical toughness he's got the compassion he's got the empathy he's got the brutality um, he's got the physicality um, in a different way than Connery did, um, you know. But 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 Craig is Craig is kind of a more complete package, you know. And and I will even venture to say, and we can I'm sure we're going to bring this up, you know, momentarily. But you know, he's almost he's almost the he's almost the the not completely misogynist connery version of bond yeah that's an important point he's he's the first one out of any of them that hasn't had a continually color tugger moment Uh, yeah yeah regarding their treatment of women i mean maybe in in 10 years we'll look back on some of the stuff and and find moments that are ultimately problematic but in comparison with what's come before there's there's no using x-ray glasses to look at women in their underwear. There's no borderline assaults like some of the other ones have had or literal assaults. <laughs> fair amount of yeah. you know, it's fair amount of slapping going on in those oh, early yeah. years. Oh yeah, I mean you look, you yeah. look at like like, you know, like the the third scene in Goldfinger. Yeah. Uh, is where he smacks Margaret Dolan um on her bum and says man talk. I mean is there more? Is there a more misogynist moment in the in the cinematic canon? Probably not. Um, you know, and how much of that is is writing? How much of that is Connery? You know, given the 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 infamous nineteen sixty five Playboy article. Um, you know, it's hard to say, but I I would venture to say that that the the that the literary James Bond would not be that way hmm. and and i also say i would also posit that we can't blame connery for that um frankly i would blame you know um may bombs and mankowitzes for that um and the writers and quite frankly yeah the, the writers and frankly you know broccoli and saltzman for that right. um, you know i don't think we can we i don't think we can land that on on anybody you know other than them and the creative decisions that were made um but those are those are atrocious moments 
um, and 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 not just in a you know 2020 look back at 1964, 65, 66. So anyway. Um, you know, not to, not to, not to get us sidetracked, but, um, yeah. it's, so it sounds like you guys are pretty much on the same page, Craig wise. Yeah. I mean, I, I, th- I think, I think Craig has given us a really interesting balance between the, 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 the intellectual and the physical and the, and the, and the, and the, the and the passionate and the might make the wrong decision in the wrong moment bond along with the guy who's going to get his heart broken because it's already happened once um you know and and the last couple of film you know quantum and um and uh skyfall you know we didn't he didn't they didn't give him those opportunities you know will that happen in no time to die one would think um, you know, but again, you know, from a literary uh, place, this is a character who goes off on a mission and tries to save the world and ends up falling in love and ends up getting his heart smashed in almost every book. Hmm. You know, in almost every novel that happens. And, um, you know, and that's, and that's one of the great things about the character is that he, you know, he drags himself back up for for at the time anyway for queen and country and and puts himself back out there and 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 goes back to do battle you know he's the he's the modern knight errant he puts his armor back on even though his heart is shattered and he goes back out there and does what's right for the realm um and that's something that i think we're seeing in the craig era that was certainly captured on a literary stage you know, in the Fleming novels, um, but um, that, that that we quite frankly have not seen until until the Craig era. So, I guess we've landed now on number one. Yeah, take us take us through the Connery of it all. Okay, so you know, I think I think a lot of this is a lot of this has to do with um, with with time of life. And, um, you know, and I think that, that we, we come at these cultural moments as, as touchstones and the decisions that we make around these things, whether we're doing a, you know, a a top five podcast, again, thank you for including me tonight, but the, I think the, um, uh, I'm going to try and stay on the right side of maudlin here. Um, but um, so my my dad um, was a Scot. Uh, you know, he was a Glaswegian um, rather than a, a fellow from Fountainbridge, Edinburgh. But um, and he was born, you know, before Connery. But because my dad was a Scot, he loved all things Scottish. So my my growing up was filled with, um, you know, Billy Connolly albums, um, and and naturally that meant that you know that Sean Connery was part of my growing up, and um, you know as I as I mentioned earlier, you know I was born in the same year as Cinematic Bond, but um, you know by the time that Thunderball came to the the the, the TV cinema. 
if you will. So the ABC movie of the week. And uh, I apologize. I can't remember what year that was, but let's assume sort of, you know, uh, late sixties. Um, yeah, you know, my, as my introduction to the world of bond, um, it was galvanizing and I had never seen anything like this. And I was seven or eight for Christ's sake. Um, you know, I probably shouldn't even been watching it, but you know, I had <clears throat> forward thinking parents or whatever. Um, and you know, and, and here was this guy who was, who was everything right who was um who was confident and athletic and and uh skilled and schooled and and knew all the wines to put with the food and the yeah, there was this sort of you know he was a complete package and um and you know no word of a lie that was very um uh that was very inspiring uh, you know, to a to a, a little guy in the late '60s, and and so when Connery kind of sort of came into my, there's going to be a part B to this, but because I want Graham to weigh in, but there was there was you know when Connery came into my, um, you know my my view my my sphere if you will, um, it was like, holy Christ, like who is who is this? Um, and so I automatically ascribe um, Bond to Connery. And, but again, I was seven or eight or nine. Um, and I think to a certain extent, we can't but help um, make those connections when, we, when we're first introduced to not only a character, but to an actor portraying that character. Or a jerk, mate. Yeah, I, I I didn't have nearly the same experience. By the time I was on the scene, there were already you know four or five Bonds out there, and the way I grew up watching them was uh, renting VHSs when we were on vacation or or just catching it on TV here or there. So I didn't have it. it it's a more recent development that I'm I'm really into the franchise. But for growing up, it was just like this was another series of action movies, and but this one just had a longer pedigree than most, and it was just common, commonly accepted at the time that Connery was the best. And so when I did go back to see them, I was you've already got that weight of expectation on you when when you start to watch them that oh, right, this guy is who they say is the best. Let's see what it is. And it's hard to live up to that. But if you start with Dr. No, the intro to that movie with the three blind mice and, and all the Jamaica stuff, it's slow and it drags. And then it goes to the casino scene. And when you first see Bond's face and he says the iconic, you know, Bond, James Bond line from that moment, you're hooked. Like he is the reason you want to keep watching the movie because he's, He's magnetic, and and I think even as the franchise went on, and he clearly got bored. Like by the time Thunderball and You Only Live Twice and Diamonds Are Forever, he does not want to be playing this character anymore. And you can see it a bit, but for those first few movies, he is just dynamic and and the epitome of cool. And everything that came after comes from him, like everything that you think about James Bond from the gadgets to the world traveling, everything comes back to his portrayal so much so that 
Fleming ended up making the the literary bond more like the Connery bond. Well, yeah. So 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 Fleming gave Fleming gave a bond a, a sort of post backstory as a Scot. Yeah. Uh, even though Fleming hated the idea in the early days of a of you know a, a, a Scottish you know coffin polisher. <laughs> that sounds like a real bad British insult. You well, coffin polisher. Well, yeah, but you know, when we were talking about Fleming, right? Who is you know considered you know one of the ultimate snobs. Yeah, um, and Which comes across in the work, right? Like like Bond only drinks the best. He only smokes the best. He only drives the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, I think I think in some senses, you know. But again, and and I I think you're absolutely right. You know, I mean, yeah. By 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 Thunderball, not only was the was Connery tired, but the series was also kind of feeling tired. And and then the the you know, let's be clear, You Only Live Twice is a terrible film. Um, and um, you know, and quite apart from the you know the sort of the exotic Asian locations. And and the fact that you know Roald Dahl wrote the screenplay, it's a terrible movie, um, and and yet and then then it comes back with Majesties, and then it goes into the complete tank with Diamonds, and then and then quite frankly you know Roger helps elevate it and bring it back into acceptability again, mm-hmm. um, but yeah you know I mean again. The, the the Connery era is is um, it's it's you're absolutely right, Graham. It's one of those moments, right? So, you know, let's pretend that Craig was ninety, you know, and Craig had originated the role. What would that have looked like? Um, you know, it's 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 impossible to say. So yeah. so. So, so let me let me jump in with part B around this, and and again, you know, I apologize in advance because my you know my my perceptions are skewed. Connery was my first Bond, um, uh, you know, when I when I when I'm sort of feeling kind of bored and want to go back to a to a to a Bond film, will I go back to the? I, you know, it's always a fight between the Connery era Bonds and the Craig era Bonds. And you know, if I want to watch a movie and yet do some work at the same time, <laughs> I'll watch a Moore Bond uh, <laughs> because I don't have to actually pay attention. Um, uh, but you know, I mean, so so uh, you know, Thunderball was the first Bond film that I saw um, at some point. Whenever ABC showed it on a Sunday night, probably horribly cut up and adulterated, and. Uh, and when my dad turned sixty, um, uh, because my dad was the was the was the guy who introduced me to, to James Bond, and I knew that that James Bond was a big thing for my dad, not only because of of, of the literary bond, but frankly, for my father more importantly, as a fellow Scot, uh, because of Sean Connery. Um, so I gave my dad a first edition copy of Thunderball for his 60th birthday. Um, and, uh, you know, it took me a long time to find it and it didn't, you know, it, it cost me a fair bit of money. I was in university at the time when my dad turned 60. And, um, 
so bond has been a theme throughout my entire life and <clears throat> when my father passed away three years later of course i you know i assumed you know um ownership of that first edition novel and but it but it but it provoked me to to sort of follow this thread um and you know now i i actually have first edition copies of all the bonds um and uh you know it's a special place of pride because it was a thing that my father you know uh got me hooked on uh and it all began in that sense with thunderball and therefore it all began in a sense with connery um and uh, you know, there's a lot of, I think, especially now, you know, you know, Graham, you began the, the, the chat tonight with the, you know, around, you know, losing uh, Sir Sean, uh, you know, in the last week or so. And, and obviously, there's going to be a lot of revisionist history around this. You know, Sir Sean was a, a product of his time. And, and he, you know, he, he, he posited some rather troubling things um, in, in terms of equity and, and the way we treat each other. Um, but, you know, if we assume that, if we, if we agree that he was a, 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 a part of his time, um, then we can hopefully ascribe the idea that, that his comments were a part of that time um, and that they are not part of the time that we live in now. Um, but, you know, he, I guess, I guess, you know, he, he wins, he wins the first spot for me because, um, because he was the first, uh, because he was so compelling, uh, because he was, he was so magnetic, um, in a way that Craig gets really close to, but doesn't quite hit. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think, I think Craig is a, is a purer, reader of the character he's a pure exemplar of the character if you will um but connery just had so much goddamn magnetism that you you just kind of got, got to give him first place okay i think that cover yeah you you have anything that beautiful to, to follow yeah, i've ever had anything that beautiful to say Except about Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan, which you know, still very. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> if you still have yet. If you still have yet to, to do that podcast, I would happily weigh in on oh, Ricardo no. and his big chest. <laughs> it's a fit, fit oh, chest. Oh man, such a chest. <laughs> well, Kevin, thank you very much for this. We couldn't have done it without you. Uh, you uh, brought. Well, frank, quite frankly, Graham, you shouldn't have done it without me. Yeah. <laughs> You bring an air of legitimacy that we desperately need. <laughs> and I hope we will have you back for future Bond lists. Uh, you know what? Have me back for anything else. If you bring me back for a Star Wars list, I'll be happily, you know, I'll be happy to destroy all of your listeners with my terrible opinions about that terrible series. <laughs> Yeah, see, it's it's nice to know that I'm not the only person who has like an incredibly wrong opinion that the rest of the world disagrees with. It's it's good. It's good that that's out there. Jesse, I'm, I look forward to the fact that we can we can we can share a couple of uh, share a couple of beers and talk about your terrible taste in pop culture. Uh, one day, one day. <laughs> 
Thanks again, Kinman. And while we're giving out thanks, I would be remiss not to mention special thanks go out uh, to Jamie Reum, our musician-in-chief, the guy behind our theme song. Check him out on YouTube and on Instagram, uh, Jamie underscore Reum and uh, Jamie Reum official. Reum is spelled R-E-A-U-M-E. And also uh, take a look at his online sort of virtual trivia pub night project at triviashmivia.com. There's league play. There's fun for just a small group. He's it's absurd how good he is at, how good he is at it but uh, if you miss going out with friends and having fun it's a good way to simulate it and finally of course thanks go out to you our audience uh, it's because of you that we get to, to sit here and talk about james bond for a couple of hours and it actually is productive instead of just a waste of everybody's time um and that is thanks to you guys um Lots of people have passionate thoughts on this subject. Um, Do we get the order wrong? Um, Can you not believe that we didn't mention, uh, I don't know, I mean, I tried to mention James Bond Jr. Maybe there's something else we forgot. Or, hey, do you just want to pose some some of your own James Bond thoughts? There are all kinds of ways that you can get a hold of us. Yes, we can be reached by email at geektop5 at gmail.com. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5. And we're on Twitter at geektop5. It'll be a while until we see the next James Bond movie, but now that you've heard about some of the ones that maybe you haven't seen a lot of, uh, there's a bunch of them out there, and again, those movies are coming soon to Crave, if you're up here in Canada anyway. Uh, so maybe take the time, you know, what else are you doing right now in quarantine? Maybe, you know, educate yourself a little, have some fun, plenty of stuff to keep you busy uh, until we return. Until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>